This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. We've got a great guest for you. The wonderfully magnificent, marvelous Meg McKean from Adjunct Advisors, who just informed me that she's a digital nomad. I got to know what it means. (laughs) First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, Second of all, well done with the alliteration. That is impressive. All those M's. And I've never actually looked at a dictionary if if a digital nomad is a thing that the dictionary recognizes, but I would define a digital nomad as someone who is working and living while they travel, which would describe my life at this moment. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, that's half the battle, Kyle, most of the time. So as long as (laughs) as we got you on, on, on the page with us, we're good. How do you like that? I mean, is that something that's like commonplace for you? Or are you always on the move, always, you know, somewhere different? Because I can tell you from personal experience, I had a patch of really, really heavy travel for probably, truthfully, the first time in my life uh, this last spring, early summer, where it was like six or seven weeks of, I'll, I'll tell you, I call it Kenny uh, Kelly Donahue Piro travel because there's somebody who travels more than anybody I've ever met in my life. And I know she was still traveling more than I was during that time, but I felt like just for a minute, I had a small taste of what she does every single week. I didn't like it. You know, I don't like, I have four kids, you know, my wife, quiet home, not really a guy that likes to be gone that much, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I respect that. And, uh, Did I grow up as a little girl wanting to essentially be homeless by choice? I'll be 44 next month. No, this is not not any part of a life plan that I ever had, which actually is why I've really enjoyed this chapter is because I was on a very traditional path up until 30. I was married, um, planning on having a family, ended up divorced in my early 30s and, and really have embraced this need to not know what's around the corner. And this lifestyle um, has helped me to solidify that even more as a very buttoned up type A, need to know what's happening, need to know what's coming around the bend. Um, This has been a challenge in and of itself. I will say I have to 
anytime this comes up, I have to acknowledge as a non-partnered, childless, by choice woman um, at this stage in my life, this is a lifestyle that works. It's out of reach for the vast majority of people for a variety of reasons. But I had reached a point in late 2020 where the life that I had built in Chicago no longer felt like it fit me. And so I, I made the great did the great debate. Do I move somewhere else, start fresh, or do I just sort of chuck it and see what happens? And that's what I did. I sold my house and all my stuff and hit the road. So I've been been living sort of this way for about a year and a half. So wow. I don't want to I don't want to get like too personal, but I do want to ask like so Airbnb hotel because you're not sleeping in your car. I can't imagine. And I mean, if you are cool, cool if you're doing that too, but. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't. It hasn't happened yet. Um, no, I and that's not that is not personal. I mean, we do not know each other uh, well, but I have I have strong boundaries. But at the same time, I believe there's so much value and power in sharing these stories. Um, mostly Airbnb. Uh, if you've ever used Airbnb, they give you a nice. Lots of hosts will give you a nice price break at a month. So I usually aim for 30 nights in one place. Uh, I have been known to book a place and then fly around the country during those 30 days because of things that come up and places I need to be. But that becomes home base, if you will. Uh, I do a little bit of house sitting, pet sitting along the way, word of mouth, more of a barter arrangement. So I'm not paying for my accommodations and they're not paying a house sitter. So that works. Um I really don't crash with friends. Uh, I'm a grown up. I need my space. I know, I know myself pretty well. That that holding up in someone's guest room for any more than a weekend just doesn't this just doesn't work for anybody, frankly. And so I don't I don't really do that. But mostly Airbnb. So hopefully they're listening and want to give me some sort of a partnership opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. know why there they you would. Go. I mean that. <laughs> but I mean, truthfully, I could. I, I honestly could embrace the lifestyle. I really could if I were single with, with like no attachment points. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, we've actually talked about buying a motor coach, like a, a legit bus style motor coach. Kyle shaking his head, but having everybody go with us and go to wherever we want to go, because with everything that we do and the ability okay, to leverage where the millers relax <laughs> and with the, uh, the technology where it is right now, it's so easy to be able to do that. You know, everything we do is pretty much cloud-based or accessible through a VPN. So I know I can do my job anywhere because the type of agency we have is not something where people are going to walk in to do business with us literally ever. I think in six years, I've had two people walk into the office here. Kyle's had more up there, but that's also by design and right. how we set up the Google map pack and everything for that location. But, you know, I could pull it off and I would like to, I'd like to do it not even just because of selfish reasons, but I think it would be a really cool experience for my kids to see history and landmarks as opposed to read about them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's a very personal decision. Uh, one of the things that I had to really reconcile in the planning of this was my relationship with things the idea that I have accumulated decades of memories in boxes in the basement and what what was my attachment to those going to be in the long term? Was I going to store my yearbooks from middle school and high school and the the notes I wrote to my friends in eighth grade when we were pat like all that went to the landfill uh, or to be recycled. And 
I have not woken up in the middle of the night in sheer panic at the thought that those things are no longer in my life, my life, but this lifestyle is not easy. I still have certain things that I have to navigate. And so the idea for me of putting four kids in an RV, yes, you get to see history and yes, you get to see life through a very different lens, but that opens up its own set of, of challenges. And so what I think is really neat is how many different people have embraced this lifestyle. And, and now through social media, we can sort of follow along on their journeys by proxy, right? We don't actually have to take the leap, but we can pop the hood and see what that might be like. And I think that's a really powerful moment. At a larger level for me working in the industry, I'm I'm an industry kid. This is my 23rd year here. I think it's important that we tell these stories when we think about the generations coming up in the business who value different things in their relationship with work. And I don't know that I would have, could have, should have been a digital nomad at 22 or 23, but I know a lot of kids who are thinking about it. And so how do we make that work in the context of our work? And I don't know a lot of them in our industry, but I do think it's an important conversation to be having about what does work look like these days? To your point, digital, digital first, it's a thing, it's possible. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting because I see it a lot from like SaaS companies and things like that, where they'll hire somebody out of school to come work with them. And before they ever start, they give them a bonus to go take a trip wherever they want to go. Like, I don't remember exactly how much, but I know it's like five or ten thousand dollars that I've heard from several people, kind of like a signing bonus with the requirement being go take the vacation you want to take get your head clear, get your head space right. So that when you come back to work, you're the best version of yourself that's possible. I think that there's probably a lot of starched white shirts in our industry that would have a huge problem with that. I actually get the logic and subscribe to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just laughing and and I don't, I won't assume how long you've been around or, or what your tenure in the business has looked like. I'm just laughing at the thought that we would have even used language, like be the best version of yourself. Uh, when I started out in the business, it literally was like, here's your, your salary. It's not negotiable. You're, you're here to put your head down and do the work. And we're going to, I don't want to say squeeze as much out of you. Cause what I got was a great foundation, right? A lot of, a lot of knowledge. And fortunately, when you work for companies with great reputations, doors open for you. And that was the case for me, but it's a very different time. Obviously, employees have a lot more say in the marketplace and with their employers now than I think we ever did. And I'm here for it. You know, I I really do think a lot of, of us have had a reckoning of sorts in the last few years about what life can look like and what we, what we want to squeeze out of it. And so I think as leaders, we're having to, to be open to new and different things to your point. I think so too. And I think COVID forced our hand to do that. I think it did on a small scale in terms of just having our people work remote. But I mean, let's face it, the definition of remote to me is anything that's not in the office. So once you're outside the boundaries of the four walls of an office, does it really even matter where you're at as long as your work's getting done? Yeah, you. it's a great point. Um, I'll say, you know, I built this business four years ago to be 100% virtual. I wanted to have that flexibility. I'd, I've been with a carrier for a long time who was work from home. And so I'd already embraced that as a lifestyle and a work style. And it worked for me. I could be productive in that setup. 
COVID obviously forced my business virtual. And so I was ready for it, which which worked out okay, all things considered. Now that the world is, and I won't say we've got COVID figured out, but we seem to have embraced more of the in-person, uh, I am traveling more. I am on more flights and trips and things to be in-person and client-facing. Just last week, I was in Indianapolis for the week and I was doing what I would consider good old-fashioned business development. I was sitting at a diner over a cup of coffee with, I call them my strangers on the internet, people that I've met on LinkedIn. We've maybe had a call or two or three, exchanged some messages. And when I reached out and and was like, hey, you want to catch up? I'm going to be in town. 100% yes, across the board. And it felt really good to be back in that energy, to be face-to-face and sharing stories and, and putting bodies with you know, the little round faces that we see on LinkedIn. Uh, so I think there's, I think both is true, right? I still think we need that human interaction. This lifestyle allows me to literally be anywhere. And so next week I'll be in Philadelphia, same thing. I've got all sorts of meetings lined up with people that I'm really excited to connect with at that deeper level. So in a sense, I built this lifestyle for for me personally, because I wanted to travel and I wanted to experience all of these things. And now it's sort of created this backdoor opportunity from a business standpoint that I just didn't, I didn't even see that coming. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool moment in time. Talk a little bit about the, your, your business, your company. I mean, I know you're doing coaching, consulting generally, but I mean, I'm actually a stranger on the internet to you and we're just meeting on the internet. So I'm not as strange as I was when I reached out to invite you on the podcast, but I hope that we can have that cup of coffee if you're ever in Tampa. Yeah, you're on my list. You don't know it, but you're all <laughs> on my list. <laughs> That's good. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so the the business and in full transparency, I left my last, it was an agency job five years ago, almost to the day. And I took a year off. I call it a sabbatical, but it was not paid. And so therefore it is not technically a sabbatical. I didn't have the language then, but I was burnt out. Um, I was doing work that was not in alignment with who I am and, and what I'm naturally good at. I was forcing it every day and it was a struggle. And I, I paid the price for that. I took a year off and I came back around and I looked at the business through a slightly different lens. What are the things that are frustrating to me? What are the things that I think we're missing um, based on what we know to be true? And so landed in this sales coaching lane and have stayed there. That is an offering that I still have. What I've also done is stayed open to other avenues, other problems that need to be solved, keeping my kind of ear to the ground. And really where I am in this moment, which is, is a beautiful meshing of what I'm good at and where I get my energy and what the needs are in the industry is more at the leadership level. So the beauty of working with salespeople one-on-one, as you know, is they will tell you lots of things in confidence that they won't necessarily tell their supervisors or their agency principals. And so all of that learning has helped me to see that there's a whole lot more going on at the top level within these organizations. And this is agency carrier and sure tech. It's across the board. So to be able to go into those organizations and to help them see quote unquote problems um, through a different lens to be that mirror is a really powerful um, experience for them. And it's something that frankly, I'm really good at. (laughs) And so in the spirit of like, why make it hard if it doesn't need to be hard? um, I've really leaned into that work. So doing lots of offsites and facilitations for strategic planning sessions and and leadership teams and, and frankly, really enjoying really enjoying it. 
So when, that's that's today, subject to change. <laughs> when when you're meeting with with salespeople, what's the most common problem that they bring up? Um, I'll answer that. I'll answer that. I'll say I've always straddled this line between personal and professional development. So I don't have a system. Um, I don't have the sort of 10 extra business overnight if you just do these five things over and over again. Because no, I'm I with you 100% though. I'm a big believer. You have to have mind, body, and spirit all in alignment. Thank you. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of great options out there for that, right? And I sat through a lot of them early in my career. And so the work that I do kind of picks up where they leave off, if you will. And so the problem that I see over and over again is a misalignment of talent, timeframes, and goals from the producer back to the organization. So you've been here six months, we want to see X amount in revenue. The practicality of that is really tough. And and what do you do? You know what you should be doing or could be doing, but you're not doing it. And so having that sort of place to go that's safe and without judgment, but yet with someone who's fully qualified to give you that feedback and that wisdom is really powerful. So the overarching sort of issue is a lack of communication, a lack of realism between what leadership expects and what's actually happening um, when those boots are on the ground. There's also a lot of interpersonal stuff going on that comes up in my sessions. And that is producers trying to figure out how to get buy-in and alignment with those behind the scenes who may have been around longer, who may know more, who may have all of their own opinions and experiences about how business should be done and how to get consensus and buy-in and collaboration is really tough. Um, a lot of my clients are women. We have not a unique, but a different experience navigating a lot of these organizations. Many of my clients are the only woman on a sales team. And so when the carrier rep comes in and invites the four guys to the game and she's left out, um, that develops feelings, right? We feel um, as a result of those decisions, intentional or not. And so what do you do with all that? Where do you go with all of that? And I think that's the beauty of, I'm a sociologist at heart. I'm here for the people, not the business. Sorry, I'm not a, I'm not that person that's insurance tattooed on the small of my back. I'm, I'm here because it's the industry I landed in. But I think the people are, are what make it interesting. And, and we have not done enough, in my opinion, to support those who choose a, a career here. So that's, I agree with that's you. a lot, think, my friends. I've just shared with you an awful lot. You have. And I think that people need to stop and like go back and rewind and listen to that again. And then maybe one more time, because, you know, when you hear it on a podcast, when you hear somebody like yourself, who's lived it, experienced it, witnesses other people who have been in that same situation, it's amazing to me how many people just have no clue. Like, honesty. And, and I mean, to me, this is something where I can see that that exact description of the carrier rep coming in and inviting the four guys to go to the game happens every single day over and over. And you know what? Those four guys, probably not bad guys. Don't even think about it, though. It is so ingrained into how things have operated for decades and decades and decades that that's just the norm. You know, maybe you have that one that one guy in the office that, 
you know, steps back and says, well, wait a minute, she's on our team, but we need to get to the point where we even have one of those people in an agency or a company in order to multiply that thought process. And I'm a big, I'm a big believer that, you know, until we have conversations around that, where just simple things that, I mean, I hate to say it, men are big, dumb animals. Most of the time, they don't connect the dots. Like, they just want to go to the game, right? Yeah. And, and I'm telling you this from a man's perspective. I just want to go to the game. I'm also the father of a nine-year-old little girl. And so I look at things through a much different lens today than what I did before we had Caroline. She's my youngest child. And I have changed my views dramatically because I know for her to have a fair chance, I have to do my part right now to pave the way for that. So anything that I do is motivated by making the way smoother for all of my children. It's not that I'm singling her out, but let's face it. My oldest son is my mirror image when I was his age. He is not going to have a problem getting a job, producing business, or anything else. My daughter, the smartest probably of all of my kids, also the one who has to deal with the most because she's the little sister to my youngest son who has special needs. And she is like a second mother to him at nine years old. She could probably have a fighting chance of caring for him for the rest of her life from here on out, because she knows the routine. She knows how stressful it can be to her parents. And she does everything she can to make our lives better, which is exactly why I will do everything I can to make her life better. But I think we need to have those conversations with really, really tangible results because my fear is, number one, let me be very clear. I I agree and recognize there is a significant issue with gender equality in in our industry. I'll be the first one to say that. Said it hundreds of times, if not a thousand times on this podcast. That's number one. Number two, though, I think that from a man's perspective, You just giving a real example of that one thing is what's going to make it click because I feel like knowing how men are wired and I'm, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm dancing a line and I'm going to do my best to make sure that my heart comes out in what I'm going to say. But I think that with social, the message social makes the messaging so crucial because I feel like there are females out there that have been discriminated against, that have not been treated right, and they have every right and every reason in the world to make those struggles known. But instead of giving an example that could drive change, it's it, it turns into just a constant over and over again of rehashing the problem instead of anything that brings real awareness to the day-to-day activities that have to change first so that there can be change in the industry. So, and it's funny because I was just talking about, it's not just this industry, obviously, but in Hawaii, it was me and and my wife who is in a leadership role um, at at ADP, manages a team and one of her um, counterparts, another female leader, and they're the only two women in the region that are in that position. And we were sitting there talking And they start like, you know, I I was zoning out looking at the water, but I hear them kind of start talking about how like all the guys go and play golf and they don't get like included in things and they feel kind of slighted by that. And then I, so I I, like tuned back into what they were saying. And I was like, you know, I bet that they don't even realize 
that that's happening or that they're doing that. I don't think it's intentional. I think they're just like, Oh, let's go play golf. And they have, they have no intentions of doing that. Have you ever brought it up to them? And they're like, no, we're trying to figure out how to do that. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. And that's what you're talking about is, you know, okay. Well, Therein lies the other problem, right? Because there's not a safe place. And, you know, I'm the type of person, Meg, that whatever you had to say to me, you can say it to me and I'm going to absorb that. I'm going to process it. I'm probably, unless you say something egregiously that, you know, that I, I completely disagree with, that's an attack on my morals or my character or something like that. Anything else is fair game. I'm going to listen to that, process it, probably pause, and then think about what my response would be. So anybody who would work in my organization should know that they can say whatever they want to say, you know, feedback or otherwise, because it, because I'm also very clear. I never want anybody to feel out of place. I never want anybody to feel as if they're less valued. Um, you know, how we've set our agency up reflects that to a certain degree, because it's not just... This is the bigger issue to me, you know, when you get into things like race and gender and everything else, but it's also got a subscript to it in the agency world by role in the organization. There's always a rift between sales and service. Well, guess what? Does that type is, is it because of the job description that these people have? Or is it because producers are largely men? And service is largely, I shouldn't say producers is largely men. We we see more and more women coming into that role. However, I do think that the majority of producers is probably still, honestly, white males. Let's just call it what it is. And then in the service side, typically you're going to see, I always call them mother hens in an affectionate way because I need handlers. But some of my best, the best people I've worked with in the organ in my career have been the service people because they're the ones who really taught me the business. It wasn't the producers. And so it's just, it's kind of weird. I mean, I don't know wh why don't we have more male service people? It's not that they're not capable of doing it. And why don't we have more female producers? Is it because we view that as the macho thing to do? We're going to go out and hunt and kill. And we're the, we're the, the winners that are going to bring the revenue back. Is it going to be a shot to the male ego? If we have a successful female producer, I can tell you if I have a successful female producer in my operation, I'm going to wear that as a badge of honor, right? But at the end of the day, I don't see it. It's systemic across the entire industry, and it's not limited to the agencies. It's at the carriers. It's at the wholesalers. I mean, look, most of these people at this point, and I know I'm going to get hate mail from this one, so go ahead and let it come, people. I don't care. We have adopted the med device and pharmaceutical model for how we hire salespeople. We want attractive young females to go out as marketing reps for carriers, for wholesalers, and all we're going to do is use them as eye candy to get people to want them to come back into our office more. So that's what the, the male prince, the agency principal like me thinks of. Oh, well, mm, I could give this to Earl. Earl's, you know, Earl's on his way out for retirement and he knows everything really good. But man, Sasha, did you see her when she was in here last week? We should send the business over there. Meanwhile, she has no clue about insurance, <laughs> nothing. And it's not fair to her. She's being used, right? We're, we're the ones who create these problems. And we can, I don't know, we continue to cater to it. I don't, it's very, very complex to solve, but I think that there are a lot of easy steps that could happen to make forward progress. Ooh, I feel like we all need to take a deep breath after, after that one. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do not 
hold myself out to be a diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging expert. I know many of them um, and would happy to introduce you to them so that you can continue this conversation. I will speak from my experience, the, the lens, the perspective that I've had for 23 years on our business is that it's a business that wasn't built for me. So if I want to be successful in whatever, and I've I've been on the carrier side, I've been on the agency side, now I'm out schlepping my own services. I have had to figure out how to navigate a system that wasn't built for me. So be more aggressive, use bigger language, speak more loudly, take up more physical space. What I'm introducing today in the work I do and the way I do it, the way I carry myself is instead of trying to figure out how to play a game or navigate a system that wasn't built for you, create an entirely different one. I'm never going to fix, quote unquote, all the problems that you've just highlighted in our business. I'm one person, you're one person, well-intentioned, knowing your bias, uh, working through your own sort of what you bring with you every day. Like Your intention can be good. I am not going to solve that single-handedly. What I can do is introduce... Um, some ideas, some concepts, support for those who want to go about it differently. And when I leaned into that and sort of, instead of fixing what I believe is broken, but instead shifting entirely, that's where the possibility lives, right? If you don't want to use that language, if you don't want to follow that script, don't. Say what you want to say. I'm, I will just, from a strategic standpoint, we are not leveraging our referral networks enough particularly as women, there are fellow moms on the sidelines at the soccer field. There is the checkout person at the supermarket who always smiles and says hi to you. All of these people love us and are champions for us and our success. And we are not leaning into those relationships enough in order to continue to grow and build our networks. If we're spending 100% of our time on business development, I think 75% of it should come should be spent on your referral partners, 25% on on new business. That's contrary to what we're learning in our industry. You need to constantly be looking for the next client, the next deal, the next sale. They're already out there. Find the people that can connect you to those people who already know you and love you and will sing your praises behind your back. That's not the way I grew up in the business. That's not what I was taught in all the sales training that I've sat through but when I think about the way that I built my book of business, because I'm a recovering agent, I'm no longer actively selling, but was, and now I'm building my consulting practice. Those are the only people I need to concern myself with, not fixing the rest of them. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't all individually have a hand in the solution we do, but the system wasn't built for my success. It was built for a different person's success. And so um, do we need to figure out how to navigate that? Yes, because oftentimes the organizations we work for are still wired differently. We've got a whole bunch of generations, lots of generational cooks in the proverbial kitchen right now who are all trying to do it their way, who all value work and life differently. It's messy. It's messy within these organizations. But there's a lot of um, bright spots, um, people that I know, women that I know who are are really creating a different experience for themselves, but also bringing people along with them. And I'm really hopeful, uh, hopeful is the word I'll settle on, that 
it's not going to happen in my lifetime or yours, but, but I'm hopeful um, that we start to see that shift. Yeah. I mean, problems aren't created overnight in most cases, so they certainly can't be solved overnight either. Um, I agree with you completely about utilizing our referral networks too. I mean, that's a, that's a, something that I think is really low hanging fruit that for whatever reason, people don't even tap into, or let's call it what it is. They don't even begin to build it the right way from the very beginning. Right. So you say referral network, but I mean, when we work with producers, half the time we have to explain what a channel partner is, how you find them, identify them, what that process looks like, you know, the coffee meetings to begin to build rapport. And it's no really real different than uh, not really different than the sales journey that you're going to take somebody through. You're just selling them on why that you guys should refer business back and forth with each other. But, you know, for those of you that are producers that are out there, listening, if you're not tapping into your referral partners, you're missing it. And if you haven't heard me talk about it before, and you haven't started doing this, the best place for you to start is to talk to your clients, ask them who they're using, ask them who they're buying their payroll from, who are they buying their credit card processing from, who sells them office supplies, office equipment, who's their managed services provider. Because I know that if I'm in a middle market account in Tampa, Florida, and there is somebody that is selling managed services to the same size account, they probably- How many only other feel- hundreds of businesses yeah. they're going to be in? They only probably stick. I mean, we're not the only industry that bans, you know, what type, size, shape, ideal prospect you should go after Mm. in the payroll market. Kyle, you know, this just from a lease being in that industry, you have middle market reps, you have small, small business reps, you have people that are out just developing channel partnerships all the time. But I've always built my network based on who my clients that I have been able to, um, bring into my book of business use for those services that they also pre-qualify and say, yeah, I think that you guys would get along really good. I think it would be a great fit. And then I ask them, will you please make the introduction? I would love to have coffee. I don't need you to go to lunch or come have coffee with us, but if you wouldn't mind shooting your rep an invitation, I'd love to be able to get to meet them. I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. Number one, because we can refer business back and forth. And number two, I never quit looking for producers. Yeah. They may be my next producer. Right. I mean, because a lot of the industries that you just talked about are the ones that are going out there and doing, you know, what you alluded to, Meg, that are going out and hunting all day long and maybe not leveraging, you know, their uh, referral partners. But that's the type of mentality I think that you want in a producer initially is that person that's willing because like you're, you're not going to come out of the gates. You have to build your 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 channel partners. Right. You're not going to come out. Well, I mean, how much when you were when you were at Quill selling office supplies yeah. door to door, calling on 50 people a day, how much did you rely on channel partners for that? Were you working referrals and everything in addition to you didn't no. have time? You were out beating on 50 doors a day. Right. But I'm saying like that mentality is the type of mentality that you really kind of. No, I, no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm I not, would. I would I'm not pushing, yeah, no, I'm not pushing back with you. I agree with you. Yeah. It's the mentality of just not knowing you, you can work hard. You put on a helmet and you hammer it against the door right. until you get in every single day. You can and teach can, somebody how to like, you know, correct. Develop if I can find channel that partners. person. If I can find that person that is that aggressive and, right. and committed to go out and work hard. I can help them understand a smarter way to use that skill set. But no, I, I agree with you. But I, I think that it goes down to what 
comes down to something else that we had said, and it, and that's leadership, not really setting people up. I don't know we said it, but I don't. I think sometimes leadership doesn't set people up to succeed because you were told you had to beat on 50 doors a day when a yeah. smarter way for you to do that would have been to beat on one door that, you know, could introduce you to 10 more in the same place. So you didn't have to knock on those doors and you could go back to unknown territory, but mm-hmm. leadership doesn't see it that way. We're more worried about results than, than effective behaviors. Yeah. I, I, I mean, got nothing to add on that. No, I, I, <laughs> and I, I love this conversation because even within, you know, yes, yes, you make some some great points. I will say most, I'm totally generalizing. This is an unfair statement. Most women would not consider the work that they do to be beating on doors. So even there, we have a language difference, right? So women stereotypically are the relationship keepers. They're organized, they're caregivers. You mentioned um, within your own family unit, these are very, very stereotypical female, feminine um, behaviors, but they do show up in our work as well. And so I have always been of the belief, instead of trying to be what you are not, lean into what you are. And so therefore, if beating on doors, putting your helmet on doesn't feel right, don't do it. And for my clients, that's often the first time that they're given permission to try it a different way. And so what I love to see, and like, to me, we've got a horrible churn issue with producers. It's more likely you'll fail than succeed. We're not, we, we just haven't cracked the code yet. What if, I mean, again, six months, you got to have seven figures of revenue, whatever that unrealistic goal. What if we allowed the first six months, 18 months, three years to just go out and build yourself a reputation? And instead of measuring how much revenue you bring in, because we know that it's more likely that you won't than you will. What if we gave you that space to lean into who you are, figure out your voice, your messaging, what you do, I love a niche. I'm here for it. I think we can totally reevaluate what a niche means in our business. Not talk about your referral partners as referral partners because that's language we use in insurance. But do people know you? Do they know what you stand for? Do they know how you show up? Do they know your belief system, your value system? That's the point when they decide to refer business to you. It's not that they know that you're a personal lines agent, or you do PNC, which again, nobody out there in the real world knows what that even means. Like, but you don't learn that until you've used those muscles over and over and over again, and you build the confidence that goes with it. And we have not as an industry embraced any sort of a runway for these producers. And it's, that's the part that is on us as change makers in the business? Can we invest in a different way? Can we invest more on the front end for a potentially better outcome on the back end? I think we can, but it's not what we know. It's not what's familiar. It's not what those select few who have seen great success did. And so therefore it cannot work. It cannot be true. And we must continue to to do and leverage what we know to be true because change is hard and change is scary. And we're anti-risk because of what, I mean, there's a million reasons why, but there's some ripples. There's some ripples that are turning into waves and I'm, I'm excited about it. And again, I'm hopeful that back to my original thought, can we serve the people who choose to serve this industry better? 
can we do better? And, and I, I think that we can, we are um, in certain pockets. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, what's been the most satisfying thing for you in the last few years since you've decided you were going to sort of, I don't want to say hang your own shingle because <laughs> you don't have one right now. Yeah, but, right. You know, My license it, plate. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, as you decided, look, this industry wasn't built for me to succeed. I'm going to go completely against the grain, which I don't know that I would be as gutsy as what you have been, but I have always said, you know, and have maintained that if the industry's going left, usually I end up going right because that's where the real opportunity is. And, you know, it, you're never going to, I don't feel like you'll find nearly the reward if you follow the same path as everybody else. But when you forge new territory and you mine in places other people haven't, and you think about things from a completely different perspective, you have a lot of people who tell you you're weird and you're nuts and everything else, but the ones who don't think you're a genius and they end up becoming your clients. So to your point, can't really worry about what works for everybody else or what, what they think of you. You need to do what's best for you and be the best version of yourself. So understanding that's the thought process that you come from what's been the most rewarding thing aside from the fact you just did it. Yeah. Thank you. It's a good question. I love, I, I mean, we're so in our businesses sometimes that to take a second and look at the 10,000 foot view. And I, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time doing that. Um, uh, but I will say very recently, um, I was negotiating a contract with a potential consulting client and I realized that the work that they were going to ask me to do as part of this engagement was not in alignment with my value system. And I remember back during my carrier days, agency days, you didn't have the ability to opt out for that reason. You were there to do a job. You had a goal to meet. Your income depended on you getting that sale. And so you looked the other way a lot. I did a lot. Um, I'll say boldly, bravely, I think the vast majority of people who sell insurance for a living shouldn't be. The reason we have a reputation problem is because we've created it. When you find yourself working within, and I won't say an organization, a system, an entire ecosystem that is fraught with dishonesty and deception and trying to get away with it, but you are not wired that way, um, it's a really tough reckoning. I had to leave. I had, I just had to leave. I had to do something else. And so to be in a position now to be able to walk away from really nice revenue, frankly, um, because of a values misalignment, I just never, I never saw that day coming. I mean, and, and we say as producers, you're allowed to choose your clients, Mm, you are. But if a client comes with a really big price tag, you're much more likely to choose them, even if some of this other stuff is boiling under the surface. So again, it's the work. It's it's helping people to know their value, to get paid for their value, to be valued by their clients. But to be able to practice that in my own business is a really cool... It's a really cool moment um, for me and something that I will hold on to for dear life because all the risks that I have taken and continue to take every day have put me here four years later through a pandemic, through all sorts of uncertainty to be able to say that and make a living is a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool moment in time. Here's what I know. I know that there are two dozen people that just heard that message and it resonated with that are going to reach out to you because of that. 
So screw the one that wanted you to do something you weren't comfortable doing. You don't need them. And I'm, I, I mean, Kyle can tell you this, right? I, there isn't a price tag on me. I know what my values are. I know what my morals are. And if you ask me to compromise from that, I will get up and walk out 100% of the time. And I've done it on million dollar accounts. So it's not, you know, I, I, I do think that um, you need to have, you need to have conviction about who you're willing to work with, who you're not, what you're willing to do. I mean, I get uncomfortable in situations, so I can't even imagine what somebody who's new to the industry comes into. I mean, at this point in my life, I'm going to be 50 in a year. I feel like I've probably seen everything, been exposed to everything, not just from the insurance industry. I've been doing this for 20 years, but before that I was in retail. And if you really want to see society at its worst, go work in a grocery store, you know? And that's one of the reasons why that was a mandatory requirement for my oldest son before I let him come into the agency. He needed to work with the public for a couple of years first and make sure this is really what he wanted, number one. But number two, just learn and understand what it means to be around people that aren't your family or aren't your friends at school and how to talk to them, interact with them, build relationships with them, be on a team, all of that. But Kudos to you. I mean, that is that is absolutely positively a great feeling. And the reason I made the comment that I did after you likely haven't heard this story, but I tell a story all the time when I speak in public and, and I've told it a couple of times on the podcast. My first meetings are five minutes or an hour and a half. And if, it, if you're not going to, if you and I aren't going to click, I'm not going to waste your time and I'm not going to waste mine. I will gracefully excuse myself for the meeting that has led to leads for me. Because I've had the person that I've killed the meeting with actually refer business to me of their buddy who has a, 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 an account that had worse workers comp problems than they did. And the guy calls me and he said, yeah, I was referred to you. I'm like, well, I don't even do business with them. He goes, no, but he told me if anybody can fix my problem, it's you. But I better follow exactly the way you want it to be done and no monkeying around or you won't work with me. And I said, you got good information. There go. Yeah. I mean, that's wouldn't wouldn't we all love to be in that position? And I think it's possible, David. I would challenge you a little bit. Your name's on the door, so to speak. And when you talk about, you mentioned walking away from a million dollar deal. I think you can because of your position, right, within the organization. And I wonder because I I think it's I don't want to say it's easy to say that. And this isn't really about you. It's for all the agency principals and sales managers out there listening. It's easy to say that we live our values and that we support our employees and that you're worth more than a deal. But that isn't always the message that's received on the front lines because you still have to show up at that Monday morning, what's in your pipeline meeting. You still have to be accountable for the afternoon that you spent golfing with a client versus making your 60 cold calls or whatever that measure is. And so I also know that we are largely, and I say we because I can't detach myself from the agent persona, but we are commission-driven beings. And so it's that constant need for better and more. And, and I personally have completely reevaluated my relationship with money and my definition of success. Because growing up in this, you got to be 10% better than you were last year and 10% better than that the next year. And it's exhausting. It's not always practical. It's not always feasible. There is no flexibility. There's no variance in there. As a woman whose life 
will go through many iterations based on how I show up today and how I show up in 10 years. And then you throw in like, sorry to make you uncomfortable, but like hormones and like the caregiver thing that we talked about, like there's always going to be something that's causing turmoil and chaos around us. But yet the expectation is that you continue to do better and more than you did the year before. When I took that off the table in my own business, it opened up a huge amount of space. I have a revenue goal every month that I am committed to hitting. But once I do, everything after is a bonus. Everything after is work that, I mean, it's all work that feels good is in an, and is in alignment, but it's the ability to say no, which is a really powerful thing that we have not let our producers know that you can do and we will support you in saying no. And so we are constantly begging for business. The behavior that I see, the tax tactics that we use scream desperation. They're not flattering. And to the person that's utilizing them because they think they have to, what that does to your own psyche and your own feelings of your self-worth and your value, there's no way that's not bleeding into our families and our home life and the way that we're showing up in our community. It's so wildly unhealthy. And I, I just don't think we're going to outrun it. That's a lot. That was a big, <laughs> that was a big old rant, but you can, you know, that I, there, I have deep feelings um, about this in particular. Yeah, no, I mean, to your point, I will tell you that it's a different perspective when you have five other mouths in your house that you have to feed and you walk away from a million dollars. They don't get a vote in that, right? Because I make that decision. So it's one thing to think about it from the agency principles perspective. It's a different to think about it as the father. Um, now, I happen to have a wife who is extremely successful and does very, very well professionally. So it's not like we would have gone without groceries. So I do have that going for me. I will be completely transparent about it. But, you know, I think about it and to prove your point and also prove mine. I was a producer where I worked for somebody else before. And I was asked to go call on a chain of strip clubs and refused to do it. And I got a lot of heat from my agency principal. And I think that probably one of the only reasons, if not the only reason that I wasn't let go or didn't get more heat from it is because I was the top producer at the time. At that point, my, my book of business was my leverage for them not to take action against me. If that was the first time that I had been asked to go call on an account and I had nothing to use as leverage, it might be a completely different thing. But I, I get exactly what you're saying from a standpoint of, you know, it is easier probably when, um, when I'm the principal, but Kyle, am I pretty vocal about the fact that I expect you guys to walk away no matter what the cost? I mean, we talked, we talked about it earlier this week, like, you know, a, a client that's calling and asking, like, this is just a total waste of time. It's not somebody that fits in our, regardless of how much potential revenue it's going to generate, if it's going to make us look worse to our clients by them being at the table with us, then it's not worth it. Our first responsibility is as producers, agents, agency principals, whatever our role is, is to our existing book of business. Any client that you bring on has the ability to diminish your value proposition to everyone you already, already represent. They'll suck you for time. They could change the way yeah. you look at things and you make worse decisions. You get stretched too thin. So I use the visualization anytime I go into a new business appointment, which I don't go into as many as I used to, but I look at everything as if I'm walking into a conference room and there's one empty seat at the table. That's for the person I'm meeting with. Every other seat is occupied by the people in my book of business. Does that person deserve that seat? And I tell them that. 
Yeah. I let him know, look, you're here interviewing me to determine whether or not I'm going to be the right solution for you. I'm doing the same. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant, but we are a very unique firm. We have a very defined process. We absolutely have the ability to fix what you're doing, but we have to do it the way that we know how to do it. And if you don't want to do it that way, doesn't mean you're unsuccessful. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're not going to be my client. Yeah. I mean, how many times have I told you I don't want I don't want this person to be my client? I feel right. like a, a couple of times last week. Yep. <laughs> From Hawaii. <laughs> like Yeah, exactly. From Hawaii while you're on vacation and right. they're bothering you. But I mean, yeah, exactly. imagine that. No, but I mean, in, in in all seriousness, you know, I it's easy to say, it's hard to do. And when you do it the first time, you do it with a level of uncertainty as to the repercussions. But the more you hold true to yourself in your values, the easier it becomes to walk away from that. And look, I don't really have the problem with prospects, right? I know who my ideal prospect is. I've got a really good idea of who they are personally and professionally, because thankfully the internet allows us to do a lot of that research on the front end. So I think that we bring a lot of the problems onto ourselves because of how we prospect, but it all goes back to what you said. And I hate to use alliteration again, but pressure. I mean, it's all about the pressure. It's the pressure to produce, whether it be for your family or for your agency. And we make bad decisions when that happens. I mean, I, I took, when I took accounting the first time of three in college, it, uh, I had a professor who said, everybody's sitting on a fence and you have a price. And it's just a matter of how many dollars that price is, but you will break at some point. You know, what is that price for me? I don't know. I know it's not a million dollars in in premium for my agency. It's just not, I'm not going to sell myself out for that. But is it 10 million? I don't know. I haven't been there yet, right? I haven't, I haven't been tested to that. So I think that's, you know, that's that's how I've always kind of looked at it is that guy challenged me that everybody has a price. I personally think I don't. So I go into everything, making sure that I can't be bought. But I mean, that's a conscious, that's a conscious part of my mindset every single time I meet with somebody. Yes. It's to do what you're doing. And I, I completely endorse using that discovery meeting call, whatever to reverse interview. Right. And that takes us out of that desperation place. And in that place of authority where we want to be with the attorneys and the accountants and the other quote unquote trusted advisors. And I, I totally support that. Yes. And this is, this is a bit of a sucker punch. So I apologize in advance, but what if that million dollar deal is a producer in your own agency who is a cancer, if you will? So a lot of the conversations and a lot of the, the, the stories that I hear, again, system not built for me, not built for women. A lot of people are protected in these organizations because they have large books of business. So a producer comes forward and I mean, I've heard of multiple instances where that person is protected because they have a large book of business. And if we take action, if we, if we create any sort of a punitive environment, we lose all that revenue. And so a choice is made, a deliberate choice to value the business over the people. And when we talk about culture, it's it's two different yet related scenarios from, from the female producer's perspective, right? So yes, I have the ability to walk away from business that doesn't serve me. But at the end of the day, am I working within an organization 
that values me more than the business. And, and that's a tricky line to navigate for lots of organizations and feeds culture, right? That's the bigger sort of underlying, what is the sales culture? Is it people first? What does that mean? And it's messy. And I'm a, I'm a prefer black and white, but live in the gray thinker. And sometimes these decisions at the leadership level become more and more uh, layered and complex. And, and I just, I want to make sure that we honor that it's, mm, it's good to have conviction, right? But that we're always going to be tested, that we're always going to be dancing that line. I think part of it is culture is a buzzword and not a belief for most people. And if it's a belief of what you're going to, you're going to do and how you're going to grow your business. And I will self-admit that I have a much more small and nimble organization than any of the major carriers or the big brokerages or whatever. So it makes it easier just because of that. But my, my reply to your, your, your self-proclaimed sucker punch was, which was far from it is that person with the cancer would never exist in our organization. They wouldn't even get hired. And if they did, it would be swift that they were removed. We're just not going to tolerate it. And I wouldn't even have to do it. The, the, the team at large would, would expunge that person almost immediately. And they know that I would have their back. You know, it, it, when, you, when you start an agency from scratch, it's a very personal journey. Um, you know, it's your personal money that goes in. And I think that to a certain degree, I can understand how my contemporaries feel when they don't want to let go of where they're at in things because they, they're, they're, they feel they're the ones who took the sacrifice, they put the investment up, but you can't get to where you ultimately want to go in the journey by yourself. I could get to Cuba in a rowboat, but it would be a whole lot easier if I had about 19 other people rowing with me. So we have to look at it through that lens and know that if we're going to bring somebody in, they better be able to row with us and they better be able to keep up because if they can't, the team's going to chuck them. They're not going to, they're not going to make it. And, you know, it's just, it's really, to me, it's that easy. So I, I say these things and I don't, I, I'm sure that I come across in some ways somewhat flippant in saying it. It doesn't, it's not that I'm necessarily being flippant. It's just, I'm so cemented in my belief structure that my entire agency is built off of that. And so it's never going to be any different than that. People are indoctrinated in that from the second they come in. If they're not going to fit, then they're not going to fit. And they'll figure that out. I'm the same person to, I shouldn't say like, I haven't grown any personally, but as far as my moral compass and my core beliefs, they've not changed in almost 49 years. Yeah. So, and I, I appreciate that. And, and knowing you through this conversation, I see that, I feel that perhaps it's not a sucker punch to you, but to someone who's listening, who realizes, yeah, we, we support our producers. We will, we'll pat them on the back. We'll drive the car as they walk away. That's a horrible analogy, but but also realize that there are other concessions that they're making and other behaviors that they're allowing, which are feeding a whole separate yet related sort of quote unquote problem. Why don't we have more account managers step into a producer role? Why don't we have more producers who aren't white males? What like these are the existential, man, I really wish I could figure this out. Well, maybe the solution's a little closer than we thought. Um, shameless plug, hire a consultant, right? To help you figure it out if you can't see it. But I think if I've got a dozen people in my inbox, you're going to have three times as many wanting to come and work for you because of how broken so many of these organizations are 
so broken. I, I say with affection as a believer in mental health and therapy, thank goodness for my therapist. These are some of the most dysfunctional families that we ever could have created as a society and the power struggles and the turning a blind eye and the the dysfunction, and I'll be bold and say the abuse that so many people are experiencing within these organizations and don't have the ability to sell their house and all their stuff and just la-di-da, walk away. It's scary. It's scary what so many people are dealing with on a daily basis. So kudos to you for choosing to build your agency a different way. And hopefully those listening realize it's not too late to change course if if somehow they found themselves not on their way to Cuba, um, but instead somewhere else. <laughs> well, I can tell you how broken the system is just based on the number of random resumes I get sent to me on email every single week from people who are looking for a lifeline. So it's well, there. And you're, yeah, and you're also very present, which is a huge other part of this is, is you're out there talking about the value of a career with your organization. So many agencies are heads down and looking at the tops of their shoes, wondering why they can't find good good producers. Well, nobody knows that you exist. Nobody knows that you are a quality human being that they might want to attach their own livelihood to. True. We could go for a whole hour just on that. Listen, I want to be very respectful of your time. I know, I know that it's valuable. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, listening to this, we've got some work to do because Meg told us she walked away from an opportunity. So I know some of y'all out there just sitting there thinking, How can I get some more of what she's cooking? You know, I want to hear that difference in perception. I want to look through another lens or at least at a bare minimum, extend the dialogue. So let them know how they get a hold of you. Yeah, I'm all over LinkedIn. If you're not, you should be. Uh, Newsflash, you could be. I don't like the word should. Or head to my website, adjunctadvisors.com, O-R-S. And that's the best way. Cool. Good deal. Well, listen, we really appreciate you spending the last hour with us. Good conversation. Like I said, if you're ever down this way, please, please, please reach out. Would love to meet in person and continue the dialogue and honestly have an open invitation to come back anytime you want, because I think that there's so many more things that we can we can talk about. We sort of pigeonholed this into that just general that whole general discussion of equality and things and, and, and the pressures we put on ourselves for no real reason other than the financial. And, you know, I think that we can just have a lot of meaningful conversations. So I really appreciate that. And thanks for challenging the way we think. Honestly, I think that our industry certainly needs more of that because people, I mean, there is no ISO form for thought process. Okay. You need to have your own be unique in how you do it. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. Thank you again, Meg. Absolutely enjoyed it. And everybody reach out to Meg at her contact information she provided. We'll catch y'all later. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>